Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on Catch and Shoot 2.0, there's one more week left in the regular season, and who would have guessed the Lakers might need an extra game just to get into the playoffs? We'll also talk about the resurgence of the New York Knicks with someone who keeps an eye on Julius Randle and the guys. But first, Darlene, let's get to it. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. His partner is Otto Strong, a man who's covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Welcome to Catch and Shoot 2.0. I am Aaron Berlin, along with the one and only his name is Otto Strong. Otto, what's going on, my man? Hey, man. Well, you're the one with the news. So you're, you, you got back from a weekend away. Uh, tell people where you were up in Maine. And I just want to hear you say, I bought lobsters, had chowder, and parked the car in the yard. I just want to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I, I had a lobster roll. Is that, is, is that how it's said? Lobster? Lobster. Um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, I went to we'll the Haba. Oh, there you Haba. go. Is, there you is go. Haba a thing? Yeah. That's and then, um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I went to Portland, Maine to experience what a uh, Maine Indian is like, or whatever you call them, a Mariner, a Mainer, uh, for the first time. And, you know, Otto, they always say that when you go somewhere, you just know if those are your people. You know mm-hmm. if you are one of them. Mm-hmm. I found my people, man. I have found my people. They're off in a secluded land in New England, in a faraway town that, in, that is Portland, Maine. But yeah. that's my place. Well, that's you know, where Maine, I'm going. I'm, I'm, know, packing, I'm packing up my bags from Florida. I'm putting on my jacket, and I'm going to Maine. You know, Maine. You know, also, and, 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 and the words of the mountain goats in the 90s. Yeah. Let's go to Maine. Hey, well, Maine also means, you know, Kansas by the sea. I don't know if you knew that. That was a... <laughs> Yeah, uh, you, you know, if uh, if they ever watch Jayhawk basketball in Portland, <laughs> I'll find the one Kansas bar there. Oh, which, I know you that. Know, surprisingly, lots of bars in Maine. It was like a bar every block. And I think it's just because it gets so cold there in the wintertime that they have to have something to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, well speaking of cold, uh, I mean, I just got to say real quick, I mean, because we've been on this on the Laker thing, you know, all season long. And I feel like we have like just kind of a weekly check-in. They are going to be in the – I mean, there's a chance they could be in the playing game. It's going to happen. They, but, they, they are going to be in the playing game at this but, point. But, here, but here's the thing. That's not the worst thing. Because to me, the worst thing for them would be to be the sixth seed and facing the Clippers. That, to me, would be the worst thing. Yeah, they're, actually, they're, actually, they're actually benefiting by being bad, which I is weird, think, right? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, think that, you know, I think that's a better spot for them. But you know what? Um, any thoughts on Zion? So – that, that, that's, that's an interesting point because he's out indefinitely now with a fractured ring finger. 
And David Griffin was fined earlier this week for basically saying that if the league would do their job and officiate games accordingly, then this never would have happened, right? And this is an interesting conversation around the loop for a long time as stars traditionally get calls, right? You know, a friendly whistle, either at a home game, a road game, whatever it is. But there are players in the league, believe it or not, that because they are so strong, because they are so tough in the way that they drive to the basket, do not get as friendly of a whistle. And it, it's, it's part of the calculus of the game, right? Like it's, it's an imperfect game because it's refed by humans, right? right. There's, there's no way around it. Like there's human error in a basketball game. But it doesn't mean that just because a guy is super strong and can get to the basket when he wants doesn't mean that he's not getting hacked while he gets there. Yeah, But it's, yeah, I, it's I, very telling of David Griffin to come out and paint that kind of a picture for a young player like Zion. Well, look, I mean, it's two things. One, you know, if, if Kyrie is the guy making the move, and I'm not picking on Kyrie, I'm just thinking of a guy who's, who's slight of build um, compared to Zion. Uh, or you a know, guy like James Harden, you know? Yeah, he yeah. Hit, he falls yeah. to the ground. Zion's well, not falling to the ground if he gets hit. <laughs> Exactly. But you're, you're completely right. So, so you, know, you have that dynamic. But the other thing is, like, the league on some level, yeah, they do need to, to kind of get this stuff right. Because if, if, if a Zion is going to get, you know, basically mauled to the point where he's going to get injured, who's that help? It's not helping the Pelicans. It's not helping the league. So, you know, everybody loses in that scenario. So, and, but, but, but you said it best. It's, it's, um, it's an imperfect, you know, system here. It's, you know, it's a fast-paced game, ref by humans. And you know, we, we've also talked about how how players will kind of you know game the system with with trying to trying to get calls. So it, it is what it is. But but there but there is a thing to you, you know you, you think back to like the '80s and the '90s of the NBA when it was a really tough league, mm. right? Like yeah. you know, some of those older guys, older statesmen, will say that they don't even recognize the game of basketball now because of all the freedom of play movement that guards have, right? Like you can't really hand check a guard, you can't really touch him when he's around the perimeter, right? Why does that not correlate to a post player, right? Like the rules have mm. shifted for guards. They have not shifted for big men, right? Like, yeah. like now the, the, the biggest difference in the game now is a big guy has to play like a guard because of the way that the rules are structured, because right. you get more of a benefit from being a shooter than you do being a tough physical presence. So while the NBA has changed its rules to allow for more offense, they have not done anything to protect players like Zion that are still tough, that can still make their way and get to the basket at will, like they have guards. Yeah. Well, look, I think about guys who are going to step outside, you know, take a three, like, you know, just thinking about their career. Like, do I want to, you know, take, take a shot, three-pointer, but if I get fouled, you know, stick the leg out, get fouled, get my three foul shots, you know, someone nicks your leg. I mean, somehow someone breathes on you sometimes. It's like you're, you're getting the foul shot. Whereas I could go, you know, down the paint and like muscle my way in, wind up on the ground with the brokenness or broken that or certainly going to be sore all over. Like, you know, there is a certain get kind of, you know, get, you know, yeah, get your points. And there's a certain, you know, you know, career move, you know, <laughs> that, that, you, that you have to account for. So I, I, I can't, I can't blame, you know, big guys for stepping out saying, let, let me look into this three point shoot thing. See what I can do there. But it's created a generation of basketball players that don't want to play underneath the basket, right? Like when I was growing up and I played, I wanted to be tall so yeah. that I could play underneath the basket and, you know, make the varsity team. I was right. always small. I couldn't shoot, so I wasn't going to be a guard, but I couldn't right. play down low anyway. 
So that, that's, and now you have big guys who don't want to play underneath the basket because they want to shoot like Steph Curry. And yeah. because they're not going to get called for a foul outside the three point line. Yeah. I mean, yeah, look, it, look it's, it's an evolution. I'm like, I think the one thing that we, that we know is that we don't know how the game will evolve 10, 10, 15 years from now, but it, it, it will, you know, they'll constantly be a constant ebb and flow. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Do you, do you know how the game will continue to evolve, though? Do you have any uh, idea? Uh, yes, with the best teams winning. <laughs> with the best teams winning and Luka Doncic continuing to get technical fouls. Well, what's, going on? what's going on with your guy, man? Uh, we spoke yes. about this last week, and he goes, no, 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 no. Like, I, I've accumulated these technical fouls throughout the course of the season, but not, right. now it's crunch time, man. Now I'm done with it. And then the dude almost gets one this week. Like, how, yeah, how does this I mean, happen? I, I, I swear for the life of me, I do not understand it. Like, you know, again, we, we're talking about somebody who's, you know, he's not just a third-year NBA player. It's someone who's played extensively professionally. Yeah, played extensively professionally in Europe where they're not exactly known for, you know, oh, pardon me, I'd like to drive the lane, please. No, they, they you know, they, they, play, they play ball. Like, they, you know, playground rules. So I don't get all of the reasons why, like, you know, you just kind of, Flailing his arms and then, you know, taking a, a nut shot. I mean, or, I mean, I looked at it, that thing a few times. It wasn't as bad as others, but still, I, 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 I get why you're going to get tossed for, for that. Uh, but it's just, I don't. If, I like, if you could sit Luca down in a room and just have an honest conversation with them about these fouls, what would you say to him? Okay, I'd say, brother. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Like, you know, your team, your team need you are the engine. You, your team needs you, period. You got to stay on the floor. I mean, whatever, you know, I, I don't know if he needs to, you know, align his chakras or listen to meditation in his sleep. I don't know whatever the F he needs to do, but he needs to do something to get in line. <laughs> now I kind of want to know what Luca's like pregame mix is, you know, because everybody does their pregame mix. And like maybe you could just like put a subliminal message in there that says, "I will not get a T. I will not get um, a technical foul. I will not get a flagrant. It's not going to happen." You know, so yeah. maybe we can make that happen, and Mavs fans everywhere would be very happy about it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's on his mixtape. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've talked a lot about the Mavs, but let's talk a little bit more about your hometown team. You want to do it? Let's do it. Joining us to talk about all of the excitement of what's been happening with the New York Knicks is MSG Network's Knicks studio host and co-host with Bart Scott of the Bart and Han Show on ESPN Radio. Alan Hahn. Alan, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to have you. Now, hey, man, so real quick, we're going to do a little, little quick catch-up. We used to work together at a place called Newsday back in the day. That's right. Uh, but, but, we, but our paths have taken us different places. You are obviously... By the, all the awards back there, we see that you are, are kicking ass and taking names. So, uh, but we're but we're gonna we're gonna jump into the now, and the now is the Knicks, and the Knicks are doing some amazing stuff for guys who used to like watch them back in the day. What what what? Explain to us what you know. How monumental of a of a season are they having? Well, it's it's the best season in eight years. I mean, that's just simply put. Um, and they haven't even clinched officially a playoff spot yet, but it already is. That's how bad the late last eight years have been. Um, it's, you know, it's sort of a renaissance, but it feels a lot different than what eight years ago brought because the team eight years ago made the playoffs for the first time uh, in 2011, and they made it three straight years. And each of those years, it was a one and done, one and done, and then second round and out. 
and there was nothing really sustainable about the group because it just was always an older team. So you're talking about since the turn of the century, this franchise has made the playoffs four times in 20 years, and they're hoping to make it a fifth time this year. But this might be the most optimistic since the Patrick Ewing years because it's a younger group and a lot more sustainable with a ton of cap space and draft picks, which didn't exist the last time around. So that's what makes this significant. It's like the first real rebuild that they've done that's actually working, uh, and it only took 20 years. Uh, okay, so so let's let's build off that because it has been some trying times for the Knicks, and there's been some rough seasons the last few years. But let's talk about the building blocks and where this is going because I, I look at this team and there's two numbers that really stick out to me. One is pace of play; they do not play at a quick pace. In fact, they're last in the league. Second is opponents' points per game; they're first in the loop in that. That all speaks to Tom Thibodeau. How big of a difference has he made with these young players? Everywhere he goes, uh, I mean, with Chicago, he was plus 20. He was plus 20 wins a season. And since he's gone, they are minus 20 wins a season from when he was there. So that's the impact that he's had. You know, Minnesota was the previous stop. It didn't work mainly because, A, he dabbled too much in front office, and he didn't want to do that. Like, that's too much. And, B, it was a – you got to have like-minded players, right? So, so the stats you're talking about are right. It's, they're always going to be a low-paced team because most really defensive teams are going to be low-paced anyway, especially the ones from the old school. They don't want to play fast because they don't want you to get a lot of possessions. So they are number one in field goal defense, three-point field goal defense, uh, and also scoring defense. Now, defensive rating, they've been top five. So the reason for that, obviously, is pace, as you know. So – it's all the things you would expect from a Tom Thibodeau team, defense as the foundation. Um, but what's interesting about this incarnation of him is that it's not just defense and a really murky offense. They've developed over the second half of the season to turn into a really high-powered offense built off the three-point shot, which I know is mind-blowing because that isn't really what the old-school way is. But they become a really – they're number three in three-point percentage. On a team where I dare you to tell me who's the guy on the team where you're like, well, that guy's known to be a three-point shooter. There's not one. But they've gotten better as the year has gone on. And Julius Randle being one of them. 29% in his career this year, 43%. That doesn't make any sense. So it's, it's, it's him evolving as a coach, yet sticking to his principles. And by the way, when the Knicks have had their great years – and I know people can joke and they, there aren't many of them, but when they do have great years, whether it's the 90s or the 70s or even that small block in the middle of the early 2010s, um, it's always been about defense. They've always been top 10, top five in defense. So it's sort of like getting back to who they are identity-wise, the franchise. That's why I think fans have really embraced this team. So, Alan, you've talked about Julius Randle. You've talked, you touched on R.J. Barrett a little bit. What about Derrick Rose? I mean, he's a guy who... Uh, you know, early on came into the league with such a flash, people thought that he, that he was going to be, you know, that guy. And then obviously yeah. clearly has, you know, not going to be that guy, but still is, is giving them a lot of production. So what, uh, you know, and, and I believe they were together. He was with Tibbs in, in Minnesota for a time. Right. So, uh, so is he, is he part of that kind of like-minded players that you, they were speaking of? Yeah. And I probably should have finished that thought, but what I mean is, is this is a team full of gym rats and, you know, as history goes in New York, a lot of times where you'll, there was always talent on the roster, but that talent liked living in New York. 
you know what I mean? Like it, it was more about being in New York than it was about winning in New York. And unfortunately, you know, that does happen. Oh, let me get a contract because the Knicks are willing to pay anything. And then I'm going to just enjoy the celebrity of being here and not really put as much into winning as I should. This group's different. I mean, and, and I know it might sound, you know, trite, but it really does start with the fact that the star player, Julius Randle, is a guy that learned from Kobe Bryant about when you get into a city on the road, the first thing you do is go find a gym and go get shots up. Get off the plane, get some shots up. Like get in the gym, get your shots up, and then the next day you go your game routine. And it, it, it's so from him, that's what he does. And then some of the young guys are like, well, I'm like that. So if, you're, if that's cool, if you're going to the gym, I'm going with you. And so it, it turned into where it was like five guys. Now it's eight guys. Then it becomes 10 guys. And then it becomes 15, the whole group. So that's what's kind of, you know, that's what's kind of cool about that. It's, it's that they really are gym rats and the head coach is a film rat, gym rat. So it's really that perfect combination that has worked out here. And they haven't had something like this in a very long time. It definitely feels like the lunch pail kind of crowd, you know, type of play and not, and you'll know what I'm talking about, not the spree will, I got my yacht, hey, my kids got to eat. <laughs> you know, mentality from, from, you know, kind of, you know, whatever, 10, 10 years ago, wherever it was. Right. Yeah, no, it is. And, and on Derek Rose, he's been with Tom in Chicago and obviously was an MVP before all the devastating in injuries. He was with him in Minnesota as well. Right. And he gets, he just knows he can coach me is what he says. He, he gets me and they're getting a lot out of him. No question about it. Taj Gibson, another guy, you know, also mm -hmm. played with him in Chicago and in Minnesota. And those two guys sort of help set the standard but I still believe it's it's the fact that he's the guy that's th eating pizza till 3 a.m. watching the film, and his players are in the gym getting shots up till 3 a.m. So they're both maniacal, and that's why even though they don't have superstars, they have all guys who sort of are the same, and likes always tend to go they, – they find each other, and it just so happens that pretty much this whole group, they're all about that, and it's it's really worked out. I was going to say, Alan, it's, it's interesting when it almost seems like the stars align for teams, right? Like you have this scrappy group of players that want to play for each other and you have a coach who can find and get the most out of them. But obviously everybody knows the, the big crux or the big issue a lot of times for Tom Thibodeau has been his, I guess, brute personality, his toughness on players. How has he adjusted his coaching style maybe to fit with this roster of players? It's a great question. Uh, and he, he talked about how he took that year off after being fired by Minnesota, where he knew he had to first get away from the game a little bit. And then when he started touring the league, he would visit a lot of coaching friends that he had, go to different places, spend a week there, and just observe and talk to coaches. And he, he did admit, I had to start being a little more um, reasonable with players and personal with players and get to know them a little more. And you know, not be so, you know, on edge so that I can push them because it comes from a place of trust. And if you ask the guys, and I've interviewed a lot of these guys, I've talked to them, even the young guys, they'll tell you that, yeah, during a game, you see a guy on the sideline and he looks miserable. In fact, there's a shirt, there's a t-shirt that's out. It's a famous shirt now that all the players were wearing. And it said, I'm only happy when I'm miserable. And that, and it's got Tibbs and all the players behind him. And it sort of fits a New York thing, by the way. Right. Um, but they say that, sure, you see that gruff guy and he'll call players out and you see him. I mean, the other day in Phoenix, he's screaming at R.J. Barrett. And Barrett, who played for Coach K, he takes it. Takes it because he knows. And you ask him, well, what's that like? Well, I want to be coached like that. You know, Julius Randle said the same thing. I want to be pushed. I want to be coached like that. But they'll say behind the scenes, 
He smiles a lot. He laughs a lot. He checks on you. He asks about your family. He asks how you're doing. That goes a long way with players. So I do think it's a good question because I do think he had to evolve as a coach, and he did. I was going to say it sounds very similar to the Steve, to the Steve Spagnola story in Kansas City. You know, takes a year off from head coaching, becomes a defensive coordinator, really kind of learned how the league had changed. But for Bibbs, you know, this is interesting because he has a long lineage of players loving to play for him at the same time. Well, he's worn mm-hmm. teams out. He's had loyalists when it comes to Derek Rose, Jimmy Butler, guys that truly love to play for him. Why was that so hard for him to make that adjustment so late in his career? Maybe hard's not the right word, but maybe why was now the right time for him finally to show that part of his personality? Because he failed. Because he failed in Minnesota, and he failed because he couldn't reach young players like Andrew Wiggins, like Carl Anthony Towns, you know, especially Towns. Like, he had a hard time with those guys, and he needed them. Uh, and that failed. You know, and Jimmy couldn't take it. And you saw that that whole blow up and him getting out of there. He didn't want to be part of that. And so I think he had to. He loves to coach and he wanted another chance. And he knew he, knew he couldn't fail this time. Um, and I think, you know, we all are allowed to evolve no matter what age we are, right? If we're learning about ourselves and we continue to grow, there's nothing wrong with that. So even though he's in his 60s, you know, the fact that he can do it uh, is a great thing. And the fact that he's doing it here is also a great thing. And it does take, like I said, it was important to make sure you add the right players to fit the way he wants to play rather than have some guys that don't want to practice all the time or don't want to be in the gym or don't want to be yelled at. Well, he's got a group that doesn't have those elements. And what will be interesting is once they do get to the offseason and try to improve this roster is to make sure that they can still keep that very delicate chemistry that they've built. Mm, good, good point. Great point. So, um, so the Knicks were three and thirteen going into Sunday's game against the Clippers, against top-tiered teams. Obviously, in LA against a team that you know on many people's shortlist to be in the finals, possibly win the title, and they take it to them. And they, they, you know, Clippers made a made a run late, but they 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 stuck with them and they you know pulled, pulled uh, stayed ahead and pulled out in the end. How significant of a win was that for them? Yeah, that might be the biggest win to date of the season. And there's been several. There's been some comeback wins that they've pulled off. You know, a game they were down 13 to the Grizzlies. It would have been their third straight loss. It would have put them, I think, three games under 500. They won that game. They come back and win it in overtime. And then they went on nine-game winning streak after that. That turned the whole season around. So that game was significant. There's been some others, a great battle with Atlanta. Um, You know, they've had really good wins. But that win against the Clippers, to considering this road trip, this is a six-game road trip on the West Coast, and you looked at it as a daunting trip, and you thought, when you saw the second half schedule come out, and you're thinking, and of course, you know, again, typical New Yorkers, mm-hmm. oh, the league doesn't want the Knicks in the playoffs, because look at this game. Who gives them a six-game West Coast trip, and you got both L.A. teams, they're not winning. You know, you might go 0-6 on this trip, right? right? And so right now, the worst they'll do is 3-3. Three and three which, again, you would sign up for that in a minute, but they've actually got a chance to go four and two if they can finish it by beating the Lakers. So it just – but you can't do any of that, especially after losing to Denver, losing to the Suns in a frustrating fashion, to bounce back and show resiliency after two straight losses to beat a Clipper team that was trying to win that game. Some people Mm -hmm. can say, oh, the Clippers didn't need the game. Oh, yeah, they did. You know, that game mattered. That showed a lot of growth about how far this team has come, how tough they are. And, uh, and it just show you, you know, that I always keep saying, like, you need these validation wins just because of the nine-game winning streak. Sometimes you could say, oh, they played bad teams. That was a validation win for the Knicks. 
You know, yeah. Alan, two players that I think have really stepped up their game. One is obviously Julius Randle with the season that he's having. What has been the biggest change for him? I, I mean, Otto and I spoke on this show, I don't know, maybe two or three weeks ago about how he is probably going to win most improved player. And even if you wanted to say, there are some people that say he could be, you know, in the conversation for MVP as far as what it means to his team. But what has been the biggest adjustment that Julius Randle has made this year? It sounds simple, but they keep pointing to, and when I say they, I mean Julius, Tibbs, and also uh, Kenny Payne's an assistant coach that they hired from Kentucky. And Kenny worked with uh, Julius when he was at Kentucky. So they had that relationship and they went right back to their pregame workout, their routines. And by the way, also a low key move by the Knicks when they did that, bringing in a Kenny Payne, because it has really helped unlock Julius. But they all say the same thing. When he came back during the pandemic, during the break, they didn't, Knicks didn't go to the bubble. He didn't like not being in the bubble. Everybody else is playing. I'm not. But he got himself into not good shape, elite shape, which he's never been in his career before. He's always been in, you know, everybody's always in good shape in the NBA, enough that you can play a game. But he took it to another level where he was in elite shape, never gets tired, can have that extra gear, the motor the extra effort plays you can make. Legs don't give out on me, so I can make that shot. I can make different moves. And that's made all the difference. So I know it sounds so simple, but he's, you know, he worked on his three-point shot. Let's be honest. You shoot 43% from three and you're, you know, you're taking five a game. That's pretty significant. So he did add that element to his game. But really, he says the fact that he got himself into elite shape allowed him to find uh, the level of his game that maybe a lot of people thought was potential, but he hadn't reached yet. And it starts with that. What, uh, what does the team need to work on? I mean, we're a week out before the playoffs start. What are their weaknesses? Point guard play. They're, they're, they really don't have a true starting point guard. Therefore, they, they, they can get off to bad starts because they're starting five. You know, Derek Rose has played great off the bench, and they seem to want to keep him there, especially because of minutes with him. You always got to be careful. But he finishes games. Their starting point guard is Alfred Payton. And, you know, he, he, you could argue he's really not a starting quality point guard in the NBA. So you, you live with that because defenses look at him like, well, we know he can't shoot. And, you know, we'd rather him go one-on-one -on -one than pass the ball, you know, to give the ball to someone else. So you don't really have to guard him as much. And that does hurt you early on. Now, he does defend and he does give you effort plays, but they've really got to get better at, at you know, play execution and having good possessions. That's the first thing. The second thing to me is also they will play, they'll play, you know, it's a 48 minute game, as you know, and they'll give you a great 36 minutes sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the, you know, yeah. that's the next step for some teams is now you got to get that complete game. And in the playoffs, you can't afford to play 36 minutes. In fact, you can't afford to play 40. You've got to play 48. You know, Alan, we had a really interesting conversation with Law Murray, who covers the Clippers for the Athletic last week, about the dynamic in L.A. between the Clippers and the Lakers, two teams <laughs> that are really, you know, the, the Clippers have been the second team in the city for a long yeah, time. Yeah. And they're having to always live in the Lakers' shadow. Well, the Nets have always done that with the Knicks, too, despite how the Knicks have played. How important was it this year? with all the buzz that Brooklyn has had about the players that they've brought in, the players they've signed in free agency, the year that they're having, for the Knicks to have the season that they have to avoid the conversation of who is New York's team. Because we all know the Knicks are New York's team, right? Like, regardless of what it is. But just how important was this season for them? Critical. 
absolutely critical because you know I, I was I had said in 2019 when KD and Kyrie had signed, I said this is a dangerous place right now for the franchise because you know while current Knicks fans are loyalists, they're not going to just go, oh, I don't like the Knicks anymore. That never happens. But you can lose a whole generation, right, of the next group now, the next bunch of kids who don't really have a loyalty. You know, how did, how did I become a Jets fan when my whole family was a Giants fan? Because the, the Jets were still relatively new when I was young, and they were cool, and the Giants were terrible, you know, at that time. So that's what happens. And now all of a sudden, next thing you know, you've got a large portion of the population in New York that are Jets fans. How do Mets fans happen? You could say National League fans, but you can also say the Yankees went through a spell where they weren't very good in the late 60s, early 70s, and the Mets were really good. And that's, boom, now you become a Mets fan and younger generations grow up. So you can lose your foothold pretty quickly if you keep going a number of years while that so-called younger brother team starts to dominate. Now, the Clippers never won a championship while the Lakers were down during the Chris Paul years with Doc Rivers. Had they won one, it might have done something in L.A., but it didn't. And now all that time, the Lakers always had Kobe. So the Knicks, this was dangerous. And so with KD playing this year healthy, and then they did make they trade for you know James Harden. Wow, like how are you gonna deal with that when they just start beating everybody and maybe they win a championship? That's what made this so significant because no one saw this coming. You know, you didn't look at the Nick roster in December with Tom Thibodeau and think, yeah, this is a playoff team. You thought maybe they could get into the 7-10, that'd be nice. But you never thought they could be. We could be talking. They could be a fourth seed. So that gives you the significance of no matter what the Nets do, at least the Knicks aren't are no longer that embarrassment where you're, a, you know, you don't even want to talk about them as a fan. You have at least not that they're competitive with the Nets talent wise, but at least they're significant. Like I always joke, it's nice to have the Knicks back in the league <laughs> because for years it was always about the lottery. Now. So it's a great question because I don't think it's talked about enough. This was vital that the Knicks at least showed some heartbeat this year. And in fact, they've shown it in a way where the Nets, I joke, you know, Blade is like a helicopter you could take to go from Manhattan to like Long Island and avoid all the traffic, right? That's what all the rich people do. And then the rest of us, you know, we jump in a cab and deal with the smell and the traffic. And so the Knicks are really more like you take the cab, whereas the Nets are Blade. So Nick fans or New Yorkers tend to relate more with the blue collar than with the cake eaters. So it's amazing how the franchise has sort of flipped. And that's what you've got right now is I like the Knicks because it's not going to come easy for them. And that's how we are, you know, that was necessary. Cause if they tried to start chase and just sign a bunch of lower end stars and it, that wouldn't have worked. This is actually the better contrast to what Brooklyn's got. So yeah. if they play each other in the playoffs, it'll be even more amazing to watch okay so disregard what i was going to ask because we can build off this what does a playoff series between the nets and the knicks potentially look like uh gentlemen's sweep <laughs> i mean i'll be i'm gonna be honest i mean the nets are if they're at full health they're scary good right and you would think maybe the knicks with their defense maybe they can get one but you know, they've had good games this year against each other. They weren't blowouts. They end up having some pretty significant endings to them, but the Nets have never been at full health. So we don't know when you add that third piece, you know, just how tough they're going to be to play against. But it doesn't mean the first couple of games you'll get that kind of, you know, energy around a series like that. If you're the Knicks, though, you'd rather it be in the second round than in the first round. 
Alan, you remember, uh, you're, you're old enough to remember, you know, the hot ticket at the garden and, you know, and then Jay-Z coming in Brooklyn and all of that. How much do you think, from your perspective, pandemic, no crowds, has kind of tamped down on the, the craziness, zaniness that there would have been had there been full arenas all through this? Yeah, if you asked me what's the most disappointing thing about this season, that's exactly what I would have told you. And I've told this to the rookies, Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin, because I said, how's the building been like? And they're like, oh, it's just amazing. The Knicks fans are just, they're so loud. And I'm like, you guys have no idea. <laughs> so I told, I, I was telling them once, I did an event with them, and I said, I'm going to tell you a story. The first game Carmelo Anthony played for the Knicks, they played the, the Milwaukee Bucks right out of All-Star break. And MSG Networks, I was still at Newsday at the time, I was still a writer. But MSG Networks asked me to do a stand-up on the court uh, for the pregame broadcast, could you stay there and just, you know, give us like the, you know, the, the what it's like court level when Mello comes out? Said, sure. So I wait. We're just, you know, back and forth with Al Troutwig, the host. And then when it was Mello's time, you lay out and you wait. So they do the intros, gets to Mello. They introduce him. Place is dark. He comes out. And now, like, I don't know if you ever experienced white noise before where you suddenly can't hear anything. It just sounds like static. That happened to my ears. Then I felt this. <laughs> now, the, now the garden court, all right, at MSG is on the fifth floor. So it's yeah, not on the yeah. ground floor. So it's, it just starts doing this. And I'm like, <laughs> like, is everybody else feeling that? Like, yeah, like it yeah, was yeah. really weird. And it's just, you know, it was only for, you know, again, if you're in LA, you've been through an earthquake. It's only, you know, a fraction of like maybe 30, 20 seconds, not even 20, maybe 10 seconds. But it was just enough for me to go like, like vertical, like, whoa, like what? I can't hear. I'm moving. What is going on? (laughs) So they come back to me as the lights come up and Charlie asked me, so how was that? And I was like, that was amazing. (laughs) You know, like, and I'm not even playing. So I told those guys that story and they were just like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, yeah. It, the floor shakes. And um, Phil Jackson's even told that story when he was a head coach of the Bulls, how in a huddle he asked his, his assistants, he's like, is the floor shaking or is it just me? <laughs> so that's what they're missing. Having 18,000 people in that yeah. building who have missed being relevant for eight years, mm-hmm. having a team like this to cheer for. And maybe they'll get a bigger crowd for the postseason because I do think they're going to uh, they're gonna expand the um, – amount of people, the capacity percentage, I think will go up in the time for the postseason. So you won't get the 18,000, but it'll get closer and, and hopefully they'll experience some of those raucous cheers. Well, man, so basically we're going to close it on that because I can't think of a better way to end it, but maybe your fi- final thought, how do, how do you think the Knicks are going to do in the postseason? Well, again, I, I, do, I do believe that uh, finishing top six, just to have a, a first round playoff series, to me would be that's your success, right? So I think anything else after that is house money because the expectations were so low. It depends on the matchup, of course. You know, anything can happen. But, you know, they are a team that because of defense, defense does travel well, especially in the postseason. So I think they have a shot at at least making some noise and winning a couple of games. And who knows, depending on the matchup, maybe even getting to the second round just because of the way they play defense. But like I said, I won't be somebody biting my fingernails off nervous because it's house money at this point and you feel like it's the beginning of something 
which again, you haven't been able to say about this franchise probably since Patrick Ewing was, you know, in his second season or third season when Mark Jackson showed up. It's been that long. Alan, great conversation. Good catching up. Wish you well. Good luck in the playoffs, man. Thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun. Good to see you, Otto. That was dope. Special thanks to Alan Hahn for joining us here on this rendition of Catch and Cheat 2.0. Now, I, I keep thinking about that story that he told of him sitting on the or standing on the floor at Madison Square Garden. And it, it reminded me, and just because everything comes back to Kansas basketball, as it always should, of a young Aaron Berlin standing in Allen Fieldhouse, you know, just not being able to hear what's going on and, you know, just watching the fans bounce up and down. But that's part of what makes the Knicks such a unique piece of the NBA's fabric, right? It's always been the fans. It's always been the garden. And it's always been just kind of the tough, gritty nature that is the New York Knicks. Yeah. like And so to kind of paint a, a bigger picture of what Alan was talking about. So imagine, you know, you're, you're again, playing on the fifth floor of a building. And in the, in the basement of the building are two different train stations, both of which are, would be probably the largest in any city, <laughs> you know, in, in the country. And like, so you got the New York subway system and Long Island Railroad uh, and also New Jersey Transit all st- and Amtrak all stacked up on. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy environment. And I will, I will definitely echo uh, the, the sentiment of, of the, of the, you know, kind of the moving, uh, the, the moving floor. Uh, I had the, the good fortune of being at the Michael Jordan double nickel game, uh, you know, his third game back, scores 55 points against the Knicks after his you know, first retirement. So just crazy. And, and yes, everything Alan said about what that, what that building can do and how it can move is, is, is legit and spot on. You know, Otto, one of my big takeaways from what he said was how this Knicks team is set up, right? Like, like they're in a really good position because I don't think anyone expected this kind of a season out of them. They've got young players that have built off some kind of success. RJ Barrett has bounced back. Julius Randle is having a breakout season. They have a coach who's in place who knows how to win. And they have all their future assets and they have cap room. You know, yeah. we were talking a little bit offline about Carmelo Anthony and what the Knicks had to do to acquire him just to win a playoff series. One what's so, playoff yeah, series. <laughs> what, what's so different about that is all the assets, everything that they gave up to bring him in in hopes of winning, where this is really what Allen was speaking to is you have a core group of players, you have a head coach, and you have opportunity now to build off this season, which really for the long time, and I'm not a Knicks fan, so take what I say with a grain of salt. But it feels like there's real optimism that not only is this not a fluke, but you can build off this. Definitely, and and the Knicks and the Knicks team that they're that they have built and are are you know going to build off of is that is is kind of reminiscent of that those teams they had in the '90s. You know, you know how were they defined? I mean, yes, Patrick Ewing was the star, but they were defined by Pat, uh, by by Charles Oakley, you know, diving for loose balls and Anthony Mason, John Starks. For anybody who's been a, a fan of the game for X number of years, you'll remember, you know, John Starks thundering in for a dunk over over a couple of the Bulls, or you know, again, just just guys diving to stands and in, in really really tough defense. And so it feels like there's a, a bit of a rebirth or, or just a reincarnation, if you will, uh, of, of that style of ball uh, with the new rules, of course, but in, in the, you know, the 2021 version, which is kind of cool. When the Knicks take the court for the playoffs for their first game, 
what, what, what t-shirt you wearing? What, what's, what, what's the get up? What, like, like, what are you rocking? Is what, what era is this shirt from? Oh, I, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I am not, I am definitely not, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna be a hardcore, like, you know, taken out like the, you know, but dusting off the, dusting off the stuff, but like, talk, I know I got that. I know I got that Bernard King jersey here somewhere. Like I, I'll be honest with you, I, that, that's not gonna be me. But but I'll, I will look and I'll be proud, you know, pour a little something out for pops who who uh, who you know went around to see to see these guys. But you know, it, it's it, it definitely is exciting. I love it. I love it. I'm so I'm so happy for you guys. I'm so happy for all the Knicks fans because it's been a long time coming, man. And I really hope, I really really do hope that we get a Nets and a Knicks playoff series. Because I'm not sure the city of New York can handle that. Like, like we got a Subway <laughs> World Series, and that was fantastic. But yeah. a Knicks and Nets playoff series with all that star power that the Nets have, that'd be fun. Oh, it'd be it'd be a good ride. I mean, like I, I don't I don't think there's any way the Knicks are in a playoff series. I don't think there's any way the Knicks are escaping uh, getting out of that series. But but no, look, I mean, it would the, be fun, right? Oh, it'd be fun and be energy, it'd be you know drama, everything everything that you want. It's just like you know, like you know, kind of secretly, we all kind of do want the, the the Lakers and Clippers to to you know go head to head. Even even if I mean, I, I'd like to see the Lakers you know get to the finals, and I don't know if that's going to happen if they face the Clippers. But still, you on some level, you do want it to happen. Hey, what would you think of a couple of other kind of noteworthy achievements over the weekend? Um, Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony. Well, look, I'll tell you, I mean, Russell Westbrook, I mean, it's just a triple-double machine. Um, you know, he's tied with Oscar Robinson as, as we speak right now. We're taping on a Monday, Monday afternoon, and in all likelihood, he'll have the record. I mean, hey, the way he's going, he may have the record five minutes from now, but, but in all seriousness, he'll have the record probably before the season ends, and it's just crazy that – um, it just what he can do and how complete of a player he is. And I, I, I've, I've enjoyed watching him play. Um, you know, I'd love to see him uh, rewarded for his efforts with the title at some point. I uh, don't know how that's going to happen. Uh, probably not going to happen with Washington. So we'll, we'll have, you know, stay tuned. We'll have to see. And as for Camelo, I mean, I, you know, look, he's, he's a scorer. Uh, been in the league a long time, scored a lot of points, and 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 so yeah, number ten on the all-time list. Great, happy for him. I think the thing that that pleases me most is to to see the the growth. And we we Alan kind of touched on this with respect yeah. to Tibbs. Um, it's just like okay, figuring out. Uh, it took him a while, but figuring out like okay, I'm not that guy anymore, or or maybe he never was. You know, <laughs> the, the the way he that he saw himself. And you know, when he first came into the league, and um, he had to change up his game, and so he did. And yeah. uh, kudos. Well, uh, well, I was just going to say, Alan spoke perfectly to it. Like, like it, it's hard when you're a successful person or you're a successful player at whatever you do to recognize that the game has changed, right? That it's not the same. You can't coach the same way that you did 10 years ago that you do today because the game has changed too much. Just like you can't play the same way that you did 10 years ago that you need to today. One, because your body's not going to let you. And two, the rules have completely changed and the way that the styles have completely changed as well so you just have to find a way and that's you know for Carmelo for someone who's always been that guy who's been the one that you give the ball to in the last second to defer to Dame Lillard to take kind of a more reserved role and to just even battle back to be in the league tip of the cap to him man that, that that's a tough thing for any player to do and he's done it well all right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Well, I, I, 
to be honest, I don't have anything more to say. A tip of the cap to both Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook for their accomplishments and their longevity in the league. It's a hard thing to do. Almost like our longevity doing this show, man. We're killing it. We're killing it. We're like a year and a half in now. I feel like we're hitting our stride. And do you know why that is? Do you know why we're hitting our stride? Because we don't play back-to-backs. Well, because we don't play back-to-backs, because we have great guests on, like Alan Hahn of MSG Networks and ESPN Radio for talking to us today. Special thanks to our producer. His name is Daniel Kramer. And to our editor, her name is Kristen Woolley. And as always, our chief content officer, he is the one and only Bruce Bernstein. Hey, if you guys have not checked out what's going on on Pure Hoops Media this week, where you been? This week on Mike Weiss, he's joined by legendary journalist Sean Powell of NBA.com. Powell tells Mike many stories for his nearly four decades covering the loop while also giving his thoughts on what's going on in this season. Full Court with Fisher and Kay has plenty of great college hoops talk, and Monica McNutt and King McClure always have you covered with buckets, boards, and blocks every single Thursday. And as always, we wrap out the week with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman as they have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday. And you know what? You get your latest NBA news and nuggets with Otto and I as we drop with Catch and Shoot 2.0 every Tuesday. Hey, you know what time it is. Time to remind you about getting your COVID shot. If you haven't had it, why haven't you had it? It's out there. It's available. Now there is actually more supply than demand. So you can actually walk right up and get it today. In fact, you can walk right up after you listen to us. So please do so because that is what will put an end to this pandemic. Um, But while we are waiting for that to happen, it's important for everybody to continue to social distance, wash hands, wearing a mask. uh, And also just remember to keep uh, those people who are doing their part to keep us safe. Remember them uh, while you go about your daily lives. Uh, Hey, so for my partner, Aaron Berlin, I'm Otto Strong. Till next time, take care, everybody. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.